Well, good morning, good morning, good morning, Discover Church. How are we doing this morning, church? Good, good, good. Feeling good. Hey, can you do me a favor? We got some folks tuning in online. Would you let them know that we're glad they're tuning in with us? We're glad you're here. Love to have you join us. Love technology, but there's nothing quite like being in the room. I talked to a couple last week that had been watching us online for uh, several weeks, and they live in Hiawatha. I said, God bless you. And uh, anyway, they drove an hour and a half to come be in the room with us uh, last week. And I haven't seen them yet. Maybe they're here again today. I don't know. I haven't seen them. But anyway, there's just nothing quite like being in the room. I'm glad to be with you today. And here's what I believe about today. I believe that today is going to be kind of a light bulb moment for a lot of us today. Um, I believe that, that God's going to start bringing some things uh, in, into a practical order for us. We've been talking about in our Momentum series, we've been on this journey, we've been talking about um, spiritual principles. And I love talking about spiritual principles because um, if, if all we ever do is just talk about the practical stuff, then, then we don't ever get, get raised up, we don't get educated, we don't get trained in the Word of God. And it's critical that we become trained in the Word of God and that the Word of God is the foundation for the practical things that we do. And and if you're going to be here for any amount of time, I want you to be trained up and raised up in the Word of God. But, but it's also important that at time we talk about some practical, tangible things. And that's what we're going to do today. We're going to, we're going to try to bring some things down to earth, out of, out of the ethereal, out of the spiritual principle world, and right down to planet earth, right where we can put our hands on it. And the reason why is my goal when I come to you and I preach is not that you say amen on a Sunday and go, ooh, that was good, and you walk out and, and nothing happens. My goal is that when I preach, you can, you can say amen maybe on a Sunday. By the way, you're not offending me when you say amen. You, you, you encourage me and sometimes you draw some stuff out. I didn't know it was in there. So it's good to say amen, amen, amen. amen. Uh, and, uh, but here's the deal. I don't want you to just come to church and sit in and go, woo, yeah, amen, woo. But then on Tuesday, you don't know what to do with it. And so my goal when, when I try to bring God's word to you is to try to bring it to you in such a way that, yeah, you can say amen on Sunday, but you can do something with it on Tuesday. Does that make sense? Amen. amen. Me and you, Jeremiah. <laughs> I've titled the message today, The Missing Formula. I mean, I'm going to unpack that before I do. I want to share something with you. Uh, Eric already talked about the launch of small groups and that they're coming up on February 13th. I want to tell you about something else that's coming up on February 13th. On February 13th, we're going to be launching a new teaching series where I'm going to be um, sharing some, some critical and exciting information. And, and I've spent the better part of the last year um, in prayer and, and seeking the Lord and, and getting some, uh, some wise counsels from, from our board and from some pastor mentors of mine and working with our staff. And I've just been praying, God, what's next for our church? And God's, God's kind of blown me away a little bit. It kind of freaks me out a little bit, but we're gonna, we're gonna start moving this direction. And I'm gonna start on the 13th, sharing with you what's next for our church. And so here's the deal. I, I, I feel like, I told Justice the other day, I feel like as, I, as I'm carrying the vision that God has given us for our church, but I haven't been able to really talk about it a lot yet, I feel, I feel just like I did as we were leading up to start Discover Church in 2018. And I believe that God is, is really preparing us and is calling us some amazing things and is gonna call and prepare you for some amazing things. And so listen, if you are in any way connected to Discover Church, you call Discover Church your home, you do not want to miss February 13th. And what I'm asking as your pastor is that if this is your home, you find a way to move heaven and earth to be here on the 13th. 
And that you make, there's a lot to what God is leading us through. And we're gonna spend six weeks unpacking this vision where God is leading us. I'm asking you to do three things. Number one, be here February the 13th and each Sunday for the next six weeks through March, I think it's like the 27th. I should have wrote that date down, but I didn't. I'm asking you, number two, get into a small group because you are gonna get connected in community and relationships. But, but what we're gonna be talking about, what I'm gonna be sharing with you is less of a vision for the organization of the church and is more of a vision for you as a part of the church. And we're gonna unpack that more through our small groups. And the third thing I'm asking you to do was you would you show up each week? Would you just come with a posture of prayer that just says, speak, Lord, I'm listening. And I believe that God is calling us to do some amazing things so we can continue to take steps to see our city changed by Jesus one life at a time. I can't wait to share it with you. We're gonna be, listen, we are gonna be beg, borrowing and stealing to try to get you here so that you can hear what God is going to be doing because I want you to be a part of it because I want you to experience what God has in store, not just for our church, but what he has in store for you. And I don't want you to miss it. So February the 13th. Now let's get back to the message. There are certain uh, messages, we talk about the title of the message today, The Missing Formula. There are certain passages in Scripture that you read sometimes and are just super encouraging, right? Now, I'm gonna share a couple of them with you. Uh, the first is this one. It's in Romans chapter eight, and it says this, if God is for us, then who can be against us? Amen. Amen. I mean, that's like, that's right. I'm gonna kick the devil in the teeth, huh. right? Like, I will judo chop you, devil, right? Like there's, it, that's just what that verse makes me feel like. Like if I'm in it and I'm following Jesus, like can't nobody, can't no thing stand against me. Here's another one. Philippians chapter one, verse six, it says this. He who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Amen. That means that God finishes what he starts. So even though you and I might struggle to finish what we start from time to time, we talked about that a lot last week, God always, always, always finishes what he started. So if at some point you said yes to Jesus and you begin following him, God has already begun the work. Now it's just a matter of time until he finishes it. Amen all by myself. All right. So these are some verses that, that are encouraging. And if you were here last week, these should sound familiar because I shared them a little bit last week. I want to share another verse with you that is also super encouraging, but it doesn't always strike us as encouraging. And it's, a, it's actually a fragment of a verse in James chapter two. And it says this, faith without works is dead. I didn't think I'd get many amens there. Now, a little bit of context um, oftentimes, if you've been in church world for a while, you will hear the, the broader scope of this verse in James chapter two used in, in connection with something that uh, the apostle Paul wrote in Ephesians where he talked about that, that, that we are saved by grace through faith. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And sometimes people will go, that's fine and good, but James said, it's by your works. You gotta do works as well. And then the people who lean on James go, no, no, no. But Paul said, it's by faith only. I just want to make it really abundantly clear. Our salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. We can't earn it. You can't work it. I love you, but you being baptized is not the security of your salvation and your ticket to go to heaven. The, the ticket of you going to heaven is you being born again through your faith in Jesus, that he died, he rose, so that you who were dead could be risen to life. And what James is saying is like, James is basically saying, so that now then, 
that you have been saved, then your life should reflect your salvation by your works. So if you say, I follow Jesus, but nothing in your life looks like you follow Jesus, then somebody would be well within the bounds of reason to lovingly ask you, do you really love and follow Jesus? Because your life does not look like it does. Now, pack that away because that's a broader message for another day. But I want to talk about what's going on here because in the broader context of James chapter two, what James is getting at with this, with this verse, he's talking about the convergence of our faith life and our physical life. What he's talking about are the things that we can say amen about here at church and we can raise our hands and sing about here at church. We can hear Brian talk about a a, a verse and and, and a word that God put in his heart as he was going through one of the hardest times in his life and and he's able to, with the team, put a melody and a tune to it so that we can sing the ancient truths of God in a relevant, practical way in our life today. And we go, man, that's good. I love that worship. Man, I can't believe his story and I'm inspired by his faith. But but if at some point, if our faith doesn't intersect what we do outside of the walls when we're at church, then, then God would say, I have some issue with that. I want your faith life and your physical life to converge and come together. And what God is doing in James chapter two is he's trying to help us see that part of us, part of what God is conveying in this passage is that our saving faith is in Jesus. And if we've trusted in his death on the cross and the resurrection from the dead as payment for satisfying God's just justice and wrath, then we should also say that my life should be one not just of faith, but of works as well. That there shouldn't be a separation between them, that, that my faith dictates my works. Or if I could put it another way, you could say that my life should be one of both belief and action. Or to try to put it in another way, in life, we need to pray about it and do something about it. I can't tell you how many times when I talk to people and, I, and, and, and they're, they're working through something in life and they go, well, you know, I'm just praying about it. Good, awesome. What are you doing about it? I'm praying. Okay. How much longer do you need to pray about forgiving somebody? Because Jesus said that we should forgive people not once, not twice, not seven times, but seven times, 70 times. So pray about it, but do something about it. I'm my family member that doesn't know Jesus. What you doing? Tell me about it. Well, I'm praying about it. Okay, great. I love that you prayed about it. What are you doing about it? I'm praying about it. You see, here's what God wants us to understand today. In life, we need to both pray about it and we need to do something about it. Here's the deal. So many of us get to points in our walk with God where we have this faith that gets built up. Maybe it's something that happens on a Sunday morning. Maybe you go to a conference or a concert or whatever. And uh, maybe you have a, a profound time, uh, uh, you know, reading your Bible and prayer with the Lord or, or, or in a small group or whatever it is. And what happens is, is we get in these moments where this faith gets built up. And we're like, man, I would, I could, oh, Jesus, I could run through a brick wall for you right now. And Jesus goes, don't, don't, don't do that. That, that then you're going to be praying for healing and well, you ran through the brick wall, so. But here's what happens. We get into these seasons of life and, 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 
This happens so often. We get in seasons of life where we have this faith that gets built up, but because we don't go into action, then the faith never converts to momentum. So if all we ever do is sit in faith, but we never get up and do something, then in, in the physics world, there's, there's, they call potential energy and kinetic energy. When something is sitting, it has potential energy. It doesn't have kinetic energy. It doesn't have energy that does anything until it goes into motion. And what God wants us to understand today is that we can have all the faith in the world, but until we go in motion, that faith never does any good for us. So what happens is, is we, we wait. We're like, all right, here we go. I'm going, I'm ready to go. Maybe you've even felt like this in this series. You're like, all right, preacher man, I get it, right? Like momentum, awesome. Going to victory, yes. Predictable pattern, done. It's gonna help me grow and mature in Christ, yes. I'm gonna overcome obstacles, absolutely. I'm ready to go and, and, and do this incredible thing. And here I go, I'm at the starting block. What do I do? Well, I'm praying about it. And what happens in this moment is we get to this moment and we go, Lord, I'm praying. God, would you move? God, would you work? Would you show me, Lord? Would you show me? Would you move? Would you intervene? This, that, and the other. And all the while, we are waiting to move until we see God move. But when we read the pages of Scripture, what we find is that it's the exact opposite. Where God is saying, no, 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 you got it twisted. I'll start moving when you move. In Joshua chapter three, one of my favorite places that we see this illustrated, that this idea that when we go in motion for God, then and only then does God go in motion for us. And in Joshua chapter three, we see this situation where Israel has, they, 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 they left Egypt and they've spent 40 years walking in the wilderness and, and Moses is dead and Joshua is the new leader. And God tells Joshua, hey, the time has come. I'm gonna lead you into the promised land. And Joshua is like, great, how are we gonna do this? And God goes, here's the deal. I need you to understand that, that I won't go in motion for you until you go in motion for me. And what God tells Joshua to do is he says, listen, I need you to get the priest and get the Ark. The Ark of the Covenant was, was an ancient, uh, significant relic in the, in the Jewish tradition. It represented the very presence of God. And there were very specific and strict rules about how the Ark was to be carried. It was this big gold box with these two angels with their wings touched in the middle. And there was rings on each corner. And they would take these long poles and run them through the rings. And there was supposed to be a priest on each corner where they would pick it up, put it on the shoulder, and they would walk. That was the only way that God had told them they could move it. And God says... I need you to understand something. I need you to go to the Jordan River and I will part the Jordan River like I parted the Red Sea, but I'm not gonna do it until the feet of the priests who were carrying the Ark of the Covenant are in the water. And you go, okay, well, that doesn't seem like that big of a deal. Here's what you have to know, that in this time of the year, the Jordan River was at flood stage. Normally, under normal conditions, the Jordan River would have been about three or four feet deep, but instead it's at flood state. Not only is it significantly deeper, but it's flowing much faster. And this is what God said to Joshua in verse Joshua 3, 13. And it shall come to pass as soon as the soles of the feet of the priests who bear the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, that the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off, the waters that come down from upstream and they shall stand as a heap he goes on to talk about, about how they're gonna walk across on dry land. 
And Joshua goes and he tells, he picks four priests. How would you like to have been the first one picked in dodgeball in that game? Okay. But listen, you got to understand this. When they, when they drew the straws, the dudes that had the back of the, of the ark had it good. They just had to get their feet in the water. The dudes that were in the front of the ark were standing like this in the water. And what God says, and exactly what happens, you continue to read Joshua chapter three, what God says happens is as soon as the feet of the priests that were carrying the backside of the Ark of the Covenant came into the water, the water stopped, the waters part, the entire nation of Israel crossed on dry land, and then the priests walked across as well. What is this illustrating? It illustrates that God goes in motion for us when we go in motion for him. You might say, well, all right, preacher man, I get it. Um, what are you trying to tell me? Well, I'm, I'm, a couple things. Number one, I'm trying to illustrate a spiritual principle in a practical way that you know to be true. How many of you have ever ridden a bike? You can be honest, you made me nervous for a second. I thought, what kind of church am I pastoring here? Listen, you know this to be true. Is it easy to steer a bike when you're just standing on the pedals and it's not going anywhere? No. It's a lot easier to steer a bike when it's in motion, isn't it? You see, that's what God's trying to convey. You go, all right, preacher, man, I get it. But here's my problem. I don't have an ark to carry or a river to cross. So I'm having a hard time understanding how any of this has anything to do with me. You're right. You may not have an ark to carry or a river to cross, but you do have a life to live and a calling to carry. We talked about that a couple weeks ago, that we were designed on purpose for a purpose. As I was praying through this, Lord, how do I, how do I, help, how do I help us do this? How do, I, how do I get past just talking points? And how do I, how do I try to package this in a way that, that is actionable? It's practical. We can use it. And God led me to a teaching uh, by Dave Ramsey. Some of you maybe have heard of Dave Ramsey, total money makeover guy, FPU guy. Erica mentioned it. We're going to have an FPU small group if you want to win. If you are not winning with your money, you need to get into an FPU small group and learn some principles, start using those principles so you can start winning with your money. All right. But Dave Ramsey, uh, one of the things that I stumbled across was this teaching that he talked about that he refers to as the momentum theorem. And, and as he talked about it, he shares this quote and he says this, when you have momentum, you are better than you are. And when you don't have momentum, you're better than you look. Now I had to read that a couple of times because I'm, I'm a simple man. I grew up in Arkansas and you know, sometimes words are challenging. But I got thinking about this, I go, man, you know, that's really true. Because the moments in my life where I've been cut down to size, if you will, are the moments where I knew I had momentum and I thought I was as good as my momentum said I was. But you see, we also need to see the other side of that. We need, somebody needs to be encouraged by this today, that when you don't have momentum, you're not as bad as you look. You may feel like everything is, is crashing in and caving around you, but, but the, the things aren't as bad and you aren't as bad as, as things look. And so Dave talked about this idea, this momentum theorem. And so I wanna share it with you today. And it, and it goes a little bit like this, all right? It's, it's, it, this is the missing formula, all right? Momentum equals FI over T multiplied by G. Now that's the end of the message. If you bow your heads, I'll pray for us and we'll... 
Let me unpack this because I think this is really, really good. Again, just trying to make it practical, trying to, trying to help give you some tools. Okay, if God expects my faith life and my physical life to intersect and work together, then how do I do this? And if we're trying to understand how to tap in momentum so that we can ride the wave of the momentum of the kingdom of God to overcome the obstacles, to break down barriers, to, to help us do all of the things that God has created and designed us to do, then how do we do it? And so I wanna, wanna break it down. And you have, if you have your notes, you've got some blanks you can fill out. Momentum is F-I over T multiplied by G. What in the world does any of this mean? The F is focus. Can I tell you that any time that everything is important, you will never be effective. That works in your home life. That works in your work life. It works in your spiritual life. Any time that everything is important, you will not be effective in any of it. Now it's football season and we're in the process of the pre-celebration And so I want to use a football analogy to help explain this. Have you ever been watching a game? Um, and certainly this doesn't happen to Tyreek Hill or Travis Kelsey, you know, last week didn't happen. But, but some, some receivers who are, play for other teams that are not as good. I believe that came from a zoo fan. What was the score of that game? Oh, we don't want to talk about that, do we? You ever seen a guy, the quarterback throws the ball, the receiver's wide open, and he drops it? Like, I'll be honest, there's sometimes I watch that happen, I think, how did that happen? Like, I, I, I'm, I'm not a fit person, relatively speaking, to NFL wide receiver or tight end standards. But I know I could have caught that ball. Teach my kid, I'm teaching my boys about this right now. Make the triangle, close the trap. Make the triangle, close the trap. I'm not a great coach because they keep doing that. But I, I see that and I just, how did that happen? I'll tell you how it happened. They lost focus. And they lost focus. And listen, this is a word for somebody today. They lost focus on what was the only, literally they have one job. Catch the ball. But they lost focus because of one of two reasons. The first reason, and this is gonna resonate with somebody today, is fear. They heard the footsteps of that linebacker and they were like, ooh, won't get hit by that freight train. The second reason they would have lost focus is greed. You go, how does greed work in that equation? If you, ever, if you ever hear the announcer say, he was trying to run before he caught the ball. So he, he was trying to go get yards. Oh, there's the ball. Can I tell you, this is the same thing that happens in our lives. This happens in your marriage. It happens in your parenting. If you're single and you want to have a family, this happens in your life. It happens in your career. That, that, that if we don't have focus, we're not gonna be very effective. And if we do have focus and we allow either fear or greed to distract us, then we're gonna lose our job. We're gonna lose, we're gonna fail at what our one responsibility was. 
And here's the deal. This is a little nugget in, in, for, for, for your work life. If you can develop the self-discipline of focus, you will set yourself apart from a world that is distracted. So you wanna try to position yourselves to look better to your boss, to the, to the upper-ups? Learn how to master the discipline of focus. Figure out what are the one or two things that are most important and only do that. Get rid of the distractions. Nothing else matters. It is only this and I'm focusing only on this. That's the F. The F is focus. The I is intensity. The intensity in the football analogy is the dude, almost always a larger dude, who is in the stands, it's below freezing, and he is painted and wearing very little clothing. And you look at that guy from the comfort of your own home, or as I do with my little space heater at my feet, and I go, that dude crazy right there. Like he probably maybe needs to see a doctor. See, that's intensity. Here, let, me, here, let me insert another word for intensity. Intensity could also be translated as passion. You see, intensity is the thing that not only causes somebody to show up when it's sub-freezing weather in body-painted suit with very little clothes, living and dying on every play, every touchdown is the greatest thing since the birth of his children, and every turnover is, why am I even living? That's intensity, that's passion. Man, can I just tell you, we need to have intensity in our lives. We need to have some things that we are burning white hot for. There needs to be some things in our lives that if anybody were to spend more than about an hour with you, they would be able to just feel the radiating heat of the intensity and the passion that you have for the things in your life. We need to be able to experience what this is. Last week we were watching the game and I had my boys, I love my boys where they, the, the stage are at. All three of my kids were watching the game, um, you know, and Micah's like, oh, the cheerleaders. And, and, you know, and the boys are like, oh, that's Kelsey, right? And so they're eight and six. And so they kind of do what eight and six-year-olds do. Um, they're in the presence where we're watching the game and they get excited about things and they get excited when the really big things happen. But unless it's like Tyreek Hill over the top for a 75-yard touchdown, sometimes they might be inclined to get really excited about the thing that they're doing on their tablet instead. And then they want to tell us about it while the game is happening. My father-in-law was over at the house as we were watching the game one of the best parenting advices, I don't know how I've been parenting for 10 years, never heard this. Y'all can pay him, his name is Frank Wirt. He usually sits right over here somewhere, parents. But he said, he told my boys, he said, boys, mind your manners. Stop talking with your mouth open. <laughs> and I thought, man, writing that one down. I didn't include that in the manner training with my children. But can I tell you what? We did it tongue in cheek. We laughed about it through the whole game. But can I tell you, after the two-minute warning, boys, mind your manners. Don't talk with your mouth open. Dad, what do you think we're going to do next? Shut it, son. Shut it. Shut it down. 
There's an intensity. There's a, there, there, there's a moment where we're bought in, we're invested. Jumping up from the couch and screaming, yeah, go! Bill scored the touchdown. No, 13 seconds, there's no way. There's no way. It can't happen. It's impossible. And then my son said, Dad, it's not impossible. We've got Magic Mahomes. <laughs> I said, you can, you, can, my, you can open your mouth now. <laughs> can I just ask you a, a, a challenging question? What are the things in your life that you have an intensity about that don't really matter? Can I tell you that if you are a child of God, a son or daughter of the Most High, then God, God's inviting us, he's asking us to have an intensity, to have a passion for the things that matter most. And in case you don't know what matters most to God, it's the souls of people. And not just the souls of people in this ethereal we got to save people from going to hell, be sanctified or chicken fried. Like that's not, not, we need to have an intensity that is consumed with not just the hell that people are going to go to apart from Christ. We need to have an intensity and be consumed about the hell that people are going through either with or without Christ. And I just wonder how your life might be different, how my life might be different, how Discover Church might be different if the thing that we were most intense about was the things that mattered most to God. See, I think that if we had an intensity for the things that mattered most, I believe deep in my soul that we would experience more of the momentum that we're trying to talk about in this series focus, intensity. Over in the T is time. Focus, intensity, over time. Can I tell you that nothing of significance or consequence ever happens overnight? And every single time that you look at something that looks like an overnight success is preceded by years and sometimes decades of working in the dark when nobody knew. Can I tell you, there's gonna be things in your life. Some of you are hoping, praying, God, why haven't I been discovered yet? God, why haven't I gotten the call? Why haven't I gotten the promotion? Why haven't I gotten the recognition? Why haven't I? Because God's still developing some things in the dark because you're not ready to be discovered yet. So we need to understand that that we need to be committed not, not to the, the short term, the flash in the pan, the, the, the stuff that, that looks good and the flashing lights for a moment, that we need to be committed to the long haul. It doesn't matter how many times you read the story, the tortoise always wins the race. It doesn't make sense. How is it possible? I'll tell you how it's possible because the hare lost focus. When I was playing sports, we used to have this saying that, Hard work beats talent when talent won't work hard. What are we talking about here? We're talking about a focused intensity, not just for a short season. Can I tell you in the world and the age that we live in, we, don't, we, we struggle to understand what it means to be committed over a span of time. 
Gone are the years when people, it was common for someone to spend 30 or 40 years working for the same company. We jump from one opportunity to the next, to the next, to the next. And we've got like a little happy feet that, that, that the grass never really ever gets a chance to grow under our feet because we're always jumping from one thing to the next, to the next, one diet plan to the next, to the next, to the next, one, one Bible reading plan to the next, to the next, to the next, one financial plan to the next, to the next, to the next, one plan to save our marriage to the next, to the next, to the next. And we, we, we don't, we don't know, we don't understand and we've lost the understanding that, that some things that are of significance are going to take time. I heard an analogy used this week that our lives are not factories where we just boom, 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 boom on a conveyor belt, just churning things out. No, no, no. Our lives and our families, they're, they're farms. We got to do the work to, to cultivate the ground, to plant the seed, to care for it, to nurture it, to water it, to fertilize it, and allow there to be a season of growth underneath the ground that's got to happen before you will ever see any growth above the ground. But don't lose heart. There's growth that's happening in that season as long as you stay faithful and committed to the direction God has called you to walk. And eventually there will be signs of life that will begin to sprout. And if you'll give it enough time, if you'll nurture it, if you'll provide it, if you'll take care of it, then eventually that new life will begin to bear fruit. We've got to be willing to commit over the long haul with consistency, not just a moment, but committed over time. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1, or 1 Corinthians 9, do you not know that those who run a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. Can I tell you that the race that you are running is not a sprint? It's a marathon. Don't be upset if you don't see the results right away. As you begin to, to live in the role and the call that God's put on your life, have confidence in what God told you when you had the encounter and the revelation that you surrendered to. We've got to have perseverance. And the last piece is the most important piece of this whole thing because we can do all of this, have focus intensity over time and I'm gonna work hard, I'm gonna do my thing, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do it, right? And, and, and I would equate it to the idea that I used in week one where I talked about the difference between rowing and sailing. And, and if, we, if we just apply this, this is the American dream, this is the equation that I work hard and I do the right thing and I just, just row, I just commit to rowing and doing the work and doing the work and doing the work. Can I tell you, it is just a matter of time until you begin to follow apart to where you begin to lose strength to where you begin to get discouraged and then you begin to give up unless unless you've learned this last part because all of your focused intensity over time will lead to very little unless it's multiplied by God And you go, oh boy, here we go. That sounds like some fancy preacher man hooey. It sounds good from a platform, but it doesn't work in real life. No, it does. It does. You see, you and I have to understand what it means to, to give our lives over to God, to give our, our families over to God, to give our children over to God to give our marriage and our singleness and our career and our, 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 all of it. We've got to give all of it over to God. Because if you don't, then you'll do the focused intensity over time and in your own mind, you'll go and you'll go and you'll go, but you'll never get where you want to go.
But if you learn how to surrender it all to God, if you learn how to give it all over to God, you'll begin to understand something. Here's what you have to understand. You will never, we don't like hearing that word about us, but I'm gonna say it again. You will never be enough for anything that God has in store for your life until you learn that what I have plus God is enough. Apart from God, you will never have enough. You'll never have enough money to do what God's called you to do. You'll never have enough resources to do what God's called you to do. You'll never have enough faith to do what God's called you to do unless you learn how to surrender to God. Well, how do I do that? Let me teach you. Psalm 37, four, I'm gonna give you an Old Testament verse and a New Testament verse. It says this, delight yourself also in the Lord and he shall give you the desires of your heart. I'm in on that. I want all the desires of my heart, Lord Jesus. Yes, amen. Woo, glory, hallelujah. Name it and claim it, please. That doesn't work, by the way. Anybody who tells you it does, you need to question what they're teaching. Jesus said this in John 14, 13, and whatever you ask in my name, that I will do. Jesus, in your name, a bigger house, please. Oh, Jesus, in your name. Just, just move the decimal place one time, Jesus. Nope, wrong way, wrong way. Nope, other way, other way. Whatever you ask in my name, that I will do. Why? That the Father may be glorified in the Son. Let me help you understand how these verses get misappropriated and mispreached and teach you to, to believe some bad things because we want to forget the most important parts of these verses. Psalms said, delight yourself in the Lord. He said that first. Delight yourself in the Lord first. Jesus said, Whatever you ask, not whatever it asks in your name, for your glory, for your good. No, 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 no. Whatever you ask in my name. So when I told you a couple weeks ago that, that momentum will lead you through your maturity in Christ, what happens as you grow in Christ, your desires begin to change. The more you understand the love of God, the ridiculous an injustice of the Son of God dying for me and for you. The more we understand the depths of God's love, the more that we understand the breadth of his character, the more that we are conformed into the image of Jesus, then what happens is, as we talk about, 1 Corinthians talks about we become a new creation, that the, the moment that we're saved, we become a new creation. And it's an ongoing process of being established new every day. God's mercies are new every morning to help forgive us from what we did yesterday, but to shape us into who he wants us to be tomorrow. And as we follow Christ, our desires begin to change. And, they, and it's not wrong to have some desires about your life and your family. Those things aren't wrong. Anybody who tells you that doesn't understand the grace of God. Have desires and have goals. 
But what's going to happen as you grow in Christ, you're going to realize that my motives and my intentions and my desires are begun to change. That it's not anymore just about what makes me feel good, what makes me feel happy, how I can be healthier and wealthier and more famous and more influence and all of those things. No, because as we get closer to God in our relationship in Christ, then the things that break his heart will begin to break yours. And when you delight yourself in the Lord, things change. The desires of your heart will change. And can I tell you, God is always in the business of answering prayers that align with his heart for this world. Whatever you ask, not in your name for your interest, but in Jesus's name, he will do it. Why? So that the Father can be glorified. The idea that we're talking about today is the intersection of faith and works is really summed up well in what St. Augustine said. It's, It's a quote that I've held on to from the beginning when we launched our church. I say it from time to time that we need to pray as if it all depends on God and work as if it all depends on you. I want to break this down and make this even more practical for you. Because I believe that if you want to experience the power of God multiplying your effort, if you want to experience the momentum of God, if you will pray first and then get moving, if you'll get rid of distractions, if you'll stay intense and passionate about the thing that God put in front of you and commit to consistency over the long haul, then you will experience an unstoppable momentum that the king, the kingdom of darkness and the forces of darkness cannot overcome and cannot prevail against. You go, how do I do that? In my life, practically, how, how do I do that? Well, I want to show you. I want to give you something. There's going to be, uh, you've got a QR code on your, uh, on your handout. Um, I'm going to have a sample of it on the screen, but, but I want you to see something I want to give you. And some of you, this is going to be like, man, I've been doing this forever. I don't, I don't need this, all right? And if that's the case, then praise God for you. But I want to make this super tangible. This is something that Jessica and I did this last year. We were challenged by a mentor of ours, um, this last summer, we were at a wedding and, and he was asking how our life is. And what I love about this particular mentor of ours is, is he got past, you know, how's the church? Tell me how the church is doing. And he asked that and I told him, he goes, how are you doing? And he just began to get really honest. How are your finances? And what are your financial goals? Talk to me about your fitness. How are you growing in your fitness? What are your fitness goals for your life? We went in and continued the conversation and he riddled off, rattled off six different goal areas. Faith, my family, my finances, my fitness, my firm, which is my career and my friends. And he said, Jernigan, at 35 years old, you need to have goals for these things because if you don't, you'll live the next 35 years and nothing new will have happened. And the stories that you tell your grandchildren will be the stories of what happened in the first 35 years of your life because you won't have any new ones for the second 35. And so this last year, Jessica and I began unpacking this and trying to figure out, okay, God, what do you want for us 
for us in these next five years, next 10 years of our lives? What are the goals that we need to have? And so I want you to have this. I want you to think about it. I want you to leave this place and I hope that you're challenged and convicted that you will begin identifying, okay, what is the specific tangible goal in each one of these six areas in the next year of my life? If you wanna get really crazy, start thinking about the next three years, the next five years, and the next 10 years and go, okay, God, I'm gonna start first by praying about it. I'm gonna delight myself in the Lord. God, I want what you want for my life. So God, would you give me a goal? Would you give me a direction, a destination so that I know how to be focused on it with a passion and an intensity and I'm committed to the long haul, but God, I'm starting with you first. I'm not just starting with what I want. I'm asking God, what do you want in my life for the role that you created me for before I was ever born for me to walk in for your glory and the world's good? And then you write down, well, 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 how do I, how am I gonna know that I've accomplished that goal? What's my action plan? Be specific. And then set yourself to walk this out. And can I tell you that there's a tendency that if you'll do this, it will help. There's power when you write things down on paper because now you don't have the excuse of, I forgot. And it helps to create that focus. Let me tell you the little hidden secret that, that I often struggle with when it comes to goals and things like that. That the, the, the key to seeing, you can't create momentum on your own, but you can harness the momentum as you begin to apply this faith and works thing in your life. But the key to seeing momentum built in your life is self-control. Book of Galatians tells us that the fruit of the spirit, he gives us nine, love, joy, peace, patience, right? He goes all the way down the list and the ninth and final one, it's the one that everybody gets to and they're going, something's wrong. Self-control is a gift that God gives to every single follower of Jesus. So that you can have the self-control to say yes to Jesus in the things of God and to say no to me in the things of this world. And so you can do this whole thing. All right, I'm gonna multiply it by God. I'm gonna start with praying and put it all on paper and I got the goals, I don't write it down, let's go. But on Wednesday, when you've set a financial goal and someone says, hey, we should go on a trip. Yeah, let's do that. Well, see, that, that competes with the goal that you prayed about that God put in front of you. And God's given you through his spirit the power of self-control to say no to something now so that you can say yes to something better. And so this is what, this is what God wants for you. God wants for you to be able to experience momentum. I want to close with a quote today from Winston Churchill that I came across. Winston Churchill said this. This was in the middle of World War II. He was speaking at um, the boarding school that he, was, that he went to as a child and he was invited to come and speak. And I believe it was 1943, 41, a couple years after the war had begun and things looked kind of bleak. And Winston Churchill walked into this, this room full of boys and delivered a speech with a line that has been used over and over and over again. And it feels appropriate because there's going to be spiritual opposition to the kingdom things that God wants you to tap into momentum to accomplish. 
And this quote, not uttered by a prophet or an apostle, is still incredibly powerful for us in our lives. And he says this, never give in. Never, 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 never. In nothing great or small, large or petty, never give in except to convictions of honor and good sense. Never yield to force. Never yield to the apparently overwhelming might of the enemy. Jesus said, as you go through this world, you will suffer persecution. The world hated him. And because of him, the world will hate you. And not just the world, but the spirits, the forces of darkness and evil hate you. And the God things that God wants you to accomplish in your life. Never give in. Stay focused. God, what... What have you called me to do in this season of my life? God, I'm gonna focus on that and I'm gonna get rid of the distractions. God, would you cultivate a passion in me, an intensity that some might find offensive? God, I'm in it for the long haul. And I'm believing that I've delighted myself in you. And you bring forth the desires of my heart, which reflect the desires of your heart. It's being multiplied by you, God. So I'm never giving in. I don't care how great the opposition in my life is, I'm not giving in. In this world, you will suffer hardships and persecution. But Jesus finished that verse and he says, but be of good cheer because I have overcome the world. At Discover Church, we exist to see our city changed by Jesus one life at a time. If you'd like to take your next step of faith today, text the word faith to 816-203-1835. Again, that's the word faith to 816-203-1835. If this is your first time listening, we'd love to connect. Reach out to us on social media and let us know that you've found us through the Discover Church podcast. Thanks for listening.